to Life Has Purpose podcast with Bethany and Ryan Baumberger. Oh my gosh, it is so good to be back. It's great yes, to it be is. back. Second show. Second show. Woo! We made it through the first. We did, and we loved hearing from you. We loved the feedback. It was super positive and fantastic. Um, just really was wonderful for our hearts. You're always welcome to give us feedback at lifehaspurpose.com. If you send some comments our way, we will be sure to read them and take them to heart. We love doing what we do every day through the Radiance Foundation. We love that we get to illuminate, educate, and motivate. And we talked about that in the first show. Yes. We also talk about who we are, what we do. Today, I guess we're going to talk about the why. Yeah, we're going to go deeper into the why. It's going to be so exciting. We're going to hear more about Ryan Bomberger and his story and how his entire life growing up and his story prepared him for what we do today. Even before we get to the why, I think it's important, Mm -hmm. you know, as husband Mm -hmm. and wife, that we actually get to the when. Oh, yeah. And the how. Okay. Okay. It's a lot of questions. I know. It's a lot of questions. Who, what, why, when, where, and how. I don't oh my know. Goodness. Sounds like a kid show. But we can talk about our when. Do you remember? Of course I remember because honestly, as cheesy as it sounds, it's legitimately the truth that the first time I saw you, I fell in love with you. I was smitten. It was back there at Regent University. We were in um, a meeting room. Everybody was waiting for the lead singer of Sarin to come in. I I was part of a committee that was putting together or helping to put together benefit concerts for youth in the Hampton Roads area. In fact, before we go any further, we got to drop right now, we got to drop just a little flavor from from Surreal because they were the band in the area at that time. I have to actually just throw out there, Louis Martinez mm-hmm. and Baron Bell were my, my, my singing soul brothers. Yes. And we loved it. So here you go. Lord, you Those notes just bring back memories. So many, so many. And so this benefit concert was for the Crisis Pregnancy Center of Tidewater. And this whole love at first sight, which was a a simultaneously felt thing. Mm. But it, it's really interesting in that we do so much work and so much partnering with pregnancy centers today. Yes. And we fell in love at an event right you know that was for a pregnancy center i mean that's why they've been at the heart of what we do through the radiance foundation forever and a day but right it took us a long time to sort of work out the kinks i was and- a hot mess <laughs> but, can i just put that in there i was a hot mess <laughs> but when we did finally get together and we realized that babe i realized you were born for me and hopefully you were realizing that I was born for you. 100%. Yeah. And then we started moving into the next phase of what's it going to look like if we get married? Because I can't live without you. And we would begin to talk about how many children do you want? You know, and you take the long walks and you go deeper and have these these deep dating conversations that only happen when you both know that you've moved past the casual dating and you're moving into lifelong commitments. Right. 
And for me, the whole thought of having, like, how many children do you want? Well, I'm from a family of 15. Right. And you weren't. No, I was like, hey, six sounds like a lot because I've been a teacher for many years. And I don't know. I'm not looking forward to 20-something of my own kids. Oh, my gosh. We need to edit that a little bit. And I thought I was coming down on the number because I figured if I grew up with 12 other siblings, that six was such an easy number. Right. But see, six, when you're on the parental side of the equation is totally different. Right. You know, than when you're the the adoptee and the the child in the family. But we both felt strongly about having biological children and also making sure that we were intentional about moving into adoption. And I had grown up, you know, not knowing many adopted families. I can name the one kid that I really remember that was in my friend group who was adopted. It wasn't a natural part of my upbringing, but we both knew that this was going forward something that was going to be, we were going to be intentional about making it a natural part of our family. And of course, you know, being adopted, it was very natural for me. Now you have one brother. Right. And one one sister. sister. Yeah. That was it. I had six brothers and six sisters. And I know that was so natural for you, but I know a lot of people ask, so I'm going to ask this question because I'm sure people that are listening are thinking the same thing. At what point in your life did you realize you were adopted? I think at the point that I opened my eyes, I mean, really, <laughs> I'm brown. So I knew there was something different. I'm like, wait a minute. They do not look like me. Right. So I was very aware of it from a really young age. And so, and it was a very natural thing for my parents to, to talk about it. It wasn't something that was, you know, held in shame or, you know, we just don't talk about this. It was, it was talked about openly and in, in a way where I, I didn't feel singled out, mm-hmm. but yet still felt special. I mean, their biological children are just as special as I am. And so I felt like they they struck that balance. It's a beautiful thing because as parents, as adoptive parents, we have biological and adoptive children. That has really been an intentional part of our parenting, that they would feel that way. And I know that when you talk to our children, they very freely talk about adoption. It's very important that we're intentional about having discussions which normalize adoption and see it as something that is very positive and It is the loving and courageous parenting decision that it truly is. I can't even imagine life without adoption. I mean, I I wouldn't be here if my birth mom didn't courageously choose life in the first place and then give me the incredible gift of adoption. I wouldn't be on this podcast with you. There's so many things that wouldn't happen. The, The reverberations from such a powerful and courageous decision are, they're, they're unlimited. They really are. I mean, I think of the family that I grew up in, you know, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Grew up mm. on a, a small farm, mm. uh, like like a 12-acre farm or something like that. It was a farmette. We actually weren't farmers, but we, you know, we had, had this huge garden because how are you going to feed 13 kids? Um, we had, you know, cows and we mm-hmm. had goats and we had sheep and we had pigs. They are the nastiest. I know, but I grew up in New York, so just hearing this, I'm like, I don't know what you call a small farm, but that's a, that's a whole lot of... <laughs> Farm animals right there. That's a whole lot of smells. (laughs) There were a whole lot of smells. And, you know, Lancaster, every time we go back and visit uh, our family, it's the smells are still there. And, you know, it brings back so many incredible memories of growing up on this farm, being loved, working hard, especially during the summer. We would be out weeding the garden and then our treat was going to the pool for the afternoon. And we worked hard. And there's so many different memories. I have so many siblings from so many different experiences. And I know we hear this word diversity all the time and people think diversity as only like skin color. It's so much deeper than that. I had siblings who came from some horrific 
backgrounds, some who went mm-hmm. through physical abuse and sexual abuse. I mean, there's a diversity in experience. Right. And there were 13 children. So let's just say there are three that were biological. Homemade. Yeah, I know. Homemade, right? And then you guys imported. Yes. <laughs> imported I was an exotic import, the first 10. one. Right. So you were the first of 10 that your your parents adopted. And like you said, different ages, different stages in life. You'd come from different experiences, different scenarios opened up the door for there to be adoption. And I love what your mom says, because she always talks about the fact that she didn't really set out to adopt X number of children. She really just, she and your dad decided if there was anybody that was unloved or languishing, they opened their hearts to really include children into the Bomberger family. And all those years later, you look back and the result of that is the 13 children. And then the countless grandchildren. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, someone would look at our, our family photo with all 13 kids and, you know, we're white and we're black, we're white and mm-hmm. black, Native American, mm-hmm. Vietnamese. In fact, my one sister is actually from Vietnam. She's one of the last airlifts from Saigon. But Shout out to Kinder. Yeah, I remember when she first arrived, I, um, how can I say this? I thought my parents <laughs> were going out for fast food because we live in the country and we weren't anywhere close to any kind of fast food place. And I thought they're going to bring back French fries and hamburgers. <laughs> and they, they brought back a girl who didn't speak English, who was terrified. I still remember her standing on this huge laundry pile, just looking at all of us and I was a little confused, but I will say that I grew to love and appreciate uh, my sister far more than once you French got fries. over the fries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah once you got over. over. Yeah, good. But she, every every single person in a family, whether in the Bomberger family fifteen or in a family of three or in a family of six, every single person is vital. You pull one person out of that picture, and it changes everything. I can't imagine mm-hmm. being who I am without all my my siblings. Oftentimes, people ask me, "Do you remember all their names?" Yes, I do. I I know all their names Hmm. and I just can't imagine life without any of them. And some, you know, had physical disabilities, some had learning disabilities. And it was remarkable to grow up in a community where because people knew our name, because our family owns a a store in Lancaster County, I think there was more acceptance because of that. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a powerful thing. I mean, our family didn't have a lot of money. People always thought we were rich because we owned the store. Uh, We weren't rich in material wealth, we were certainly rich in yeah. things so much more important. My my parents, they loved the Lord. Yes, they did. They I they do. loved they Jesus. Right, right. And out of that love for for God, they they loved people and they loved mm-hmm. His creation. And like you said, my parents weren't they weren't on some crusade. They right. simply just wanted to love those that the world said, "Hey, <laughs> no one's going to yeah. love these kids." That kid's been in foster care for six years. That girl's been in foster care even through her teenage years. And yet, my parents just loved. Which actually brings us now to your story. So you were the first of 10 adopted and share with those that are listening, um, the circumstances that surrounded your adoption. So I was the first one adopted. I was Mm -hmm. six weeks old Mm -hmm. when I was adopted. Mm. And, you know, I was looking at some of my old adoption papers years ago, and I don't know why I never caught this a lot earlier but in fact i'm holding it in my hands right now right and in this adoption agreement it was dated june 23rd do i say the year (laughs) a long time ago yeah june 23rd it took a year for me to be adopted i was actually adopted on juneteenth june 19th 
the following mm-hmm. year. But in this this document, it talks about how they can remove the child from the home for any reason if they feel like it's not the right home. Or my parents right. had the option to return me within one year's <laughs> one time. Calendar, when, one year's time, right? One year refund policy. Oh, my goodness. What? You can't even get that at Walmart. <laughs> Gosh, I'm glad they did not return me. There are just some things that I found really funny. Unfortunately, in these papers, there there aren't many details mm. at all about my birth mom. You know, I reached out years ago, 2004, that I reached out to have my adoption records unsealed to try to search for my birth mom. Right. And so a judge allowed that to happen because it was a closed adoption. Yeah. And what came from that? It was hard. Because I had waited until I got my master's degree because I felt like I wanted to achieve a certain level of, I don't know, Hmm. a certain level of something that I could just say, hey, look, here's what I've been able to do with my life if I ever were to meet my birth mom or to connect with her. And so it was actually upon graduating from Regent University. And so Hmm. I thought, okay, I think I'm ready now. And the search was was conducted and unfortunately there was no response so i'm i got a few bits of information you know they told me certain things that really didn't enhance the situation at all but confirmed certain things you know that she was she at least had graduated from high school she was in the military she was in foster care herself and she was estranged from her family little details like that and all i wanted to do was actually get a song Mm-hmm. that I had written to her just as a tribute to her. I just wanted to get her a copy of it. Of course, this is years ago, so I wanted to get two CDs to her. Right. And, and that was, was just, it. You know, Meant to Be, which is the beautiful name of a beautifully written thank you note, it's such a powerful song. And I know that over the years you've written many different songs and you just have a beautiful gift of expressing yourself through lyrics. But how did writing Meant to Be come about for you? You know, I'm that fringe example that people have a really hard time embracing. I'm the mm. literally the 1% that's used 100% of the time to justify abortion. Mm. See, my birth mom was, my birth mom was raped. She experienced the horror and the violence of rape, but yet she still chose life for me. She still gave me the incredible gift of adoption. Mm. And the reverberations from her singular decision, from her single decision Mm. to be stronger than her circumstances, And we live in a culture today where self-sacrifice is not what's held up as a virtue. Sacrifice of others is being celebrated. But Mm. yet, if my birth mom did not choose self-sacrifice, if she didn't choose to be courageous, how many things, including me, Mm -hmm. would be eliminated from this world? And so that's why I'm so grateful to my birth mom. I'm so grateful to my parents who love me despite the fact that I was conceived in rape. You know, the the circumstances of our conception don't change the condition of our worth. Yeah, say that again. That's so good. I mean, none of us control the circumstances of our conception. I mean, right. didn't Right. Nope. <laughs> we don't control that because mm-hmm. that would be really weird if we did. The circumstances of your conception, the circumstances of my conception, they don't change the condition of our worth. Mm. We have equal and irrevocable worth simply because God created us. So good. Did he intend for my birth mom to experience that violence? Of course not. 
But this is what God does. He reaches into the mess. He reaches mm-hmm. into the pain and the, and the 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 confusion and the all that 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 garbage, and he he pulls out something so beautiful from it. Mm. And that that's any situation. That's any situation where we, where we look with human eyes and we say that's a that's a that's devastation. That that's that's terrible. And God's like, no, mm. I can work this for the good. And so I'm just grateful for my birth mom, which is why as a creative, for years I try to figure out how do I thank her? What do I even say? How do I say thank you? Hmm. And so I came up with a few different ways. (laughs) Right. But meant to be is one of the most phenomenal ways. It is just the most beautiful thank you note that I could have even uh, dreamt of you writing. It is a just such a moving and emotional song it is anointed and what i love about it is that it speaks to so many different people over the years as we've met people in different areas and women who have walked through the horror of rape and conceived through that you know folks that have uh, you know that is their story of conception and when they hear those words it just gives them something that they didn't have before a hope and a sense of understanding that even in the midst of all of the brokenness, there's breakthrough and there's meaning in life. I know it wasn't easy. I know it changed your life. I imagine no words could console. The woman he had defiled But somehow you found the courage And the grace to carry on When everyone around you told you This child should not be born I know I was meant to be this life was meant for me though you went through so so much pain oh your tears they were not Conceived 
confusion You found the strength To make it through And now I can love and This is Justice Barmiger, and you're listening to Life Has Purpose. Every week, Ryan's articles appear on various news outlets. Each week, we'll feature one of his latest commentaries. It's time for some fearless factivism. I am not the rapist child. Wow, I hate that phrase. Rapist child, rapist baby, rape baby, or product of rape. All equally despicable yet intentional pejoratives often used by abortion activists and abortionists to debase those conceived in such horrid violence. 
As if these revilers had any control over the circumstances of their own conception, they stand as judge and executioner of human beings with the exact same cellular makeup. Do we refer to children as the drug dealer's child or the adulterer's child? President Obama's alcoholic father was married multiple times. In fact, his father was married to two different women concurrently. Do we call Obama the bigamist child or the alcoholic's child? That would be horrible. Granted, people hold various views of our former commander-in-chief, but who would call him the abandoned-in-chief because of his deadbeat dad, no matter the wishful dreams he had of his father? When do we ever define an innocent child by the crimes of either parent? This is only necessary to those whose ideology demands the dehumanization of that life to justify killing via abortion. It assuages those who demand that certain human lives have zero civil rights. The Civil Rights Act of 1964, celebrated as one of America's most pivotal moments, was just as long overdue. Most don't realize that it is nearly a mirror copy of the Republican-only passed Civil Rights Act of 1875, championed by famed abolitionist and my hero, Frederick Douglass. In 1883, the law was later ruled unconstitutional by the often supremely wrong Supreme Court. Now, of course, those who may know of Frederick Douglass know that he helped to reshape the conscience of President Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln's heart was moved by the eloquence and conviction of a man who wasn't even considered human. The leader of the party created to abolish slavery was compelled to rethink his views of humanity and equality by a former slave who abortion activists today would call a rapist child. Frederick Douglass, racially mixed, was born as a result of the rape of his biological mother, a slave, by her slave master. But Douglass is defined by his greatness, his achievements, by something other than the crime that caused his conception. He wasn't the slave master's child, but a resilient human being who fought to ensure the dignity of all human life. He was a man who rose from the seemingly impossible to be an incomparable orator, author, newspaper publisher, women's rights advocate, ambassador, abolitionist, and presidential advisor. We all have that capacity within us. We're all created equal, which means the beautiful possibility that is within that child who was planned is no different than that which was instilled in me, despite my violent conception. My biological mother was strength personified. She chose to be stronger than her circumstances, and I am beyond grateful for her courage and the incredible gift of life and love she gave to me, especially through adoption. And as I've discovered by talking to rape survivors across the country at events on college campuses and churches and schools and in adoption-related conferences, there is a common thread. Children conceived in rape are often considered by their biological mothers as the only redemption of such a horrific and violent act. According to a rare published study in the Journal of American Obstetrics and Gynecology, an estimated 50% of women who conceive after being raped choose abortion. But that's not the end of the story. Surprisingly to some, 32.2% choose to continue their pregnancy and parent the child, with 5.9% opting to make an adoption plan, according to that same study. Nearly 40% choose life. I continue to meet these women, both post-abortive, who often express their regret, and those who gave birth to their child. To add a little more context, abortions due to rape constitute less than 1% of all abortions nationwide. Many call these situations the hard cases. I call them the heart cases. 
because it takes more than numbers to sway people to reconsider what society offers as healing to women so horrifically violated. It takes sharing the other side of the story, showing people the tangible reality that is the 1% and the beautiful possibility that every human life possesses. The violence of abortion on both the child and the mother does nothing to punish the rapist. According to many post-abortive rape survivors I've talked to, it doesn't erase the emotional or physical trauma either. I am not the rapist's child. I was her child. I am God's child. I'm one of thousands every year given the opportunity to live, love, and redeem what the rapist tried to destroy. Our stories are full of hope, full of love, full of purpose. And when given the chance to share our experiences, we change people's hearts and minds by showing that triumph can rise from tragedy. I'm Ryan Bomberger, and you're listening to the Life Has Purpose podcast. You can find that commentary and other op-eds at radiance.life news. Wow, that was good. That is actually the first chapter in Ryan's book, Not Equal Civil Rights Gone Wrong. And can you imagine if that's just the first chapter, what's to come? It's really beautifully written. And Ryan, I love, I love that. You said, when given the chance to share our experiences, we change people's hearts and minds by showing that triumph can rise from tragedy. And a big motivation for us even doing this podcast is for you, the listener, to understand that whatever it is that God has healed you, delivered you from, taken you from point A to where you are now, point B, point C, point D, that that is worth sharing. Stories of transformation can never be um, combated by the world. God does this beautiful thing, and he allows there to be transformation. When we don't stop at the tragedy, but we push through the tragedy to understand the depth of triumph. You know, it's, it's remarkable because what we end up doing is we shortchange others in our lives by not being able to be in that vulnerable position to say, this is what I've gone through, but guess what? You're not alone. I've Mm -hmm. experienced this. She's experienced that. He's experienced this. It gives people the opportunity to be set free. And it silences the lie of the enemy, which says, because of something that has happened or something that you've walked through that you no longer have purpose. I love the verse in Romans. It's actually Romans 16, 20, which says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, and the grace of the Lord Jesus will be with you. When we understand how God's heart for us is it becomes part of our story, we realize that it's always a story of victory. It's always a story of purpose. And we understand that in small situations and in big situations, that the enemy has one end, and that is always that he will be crushed when truth is spoken into you you're at peace Mm. because there's always that inner turmoil that happens when you're when you're wrestling with a lie and so that's why we love that through the radiance foundation we get to speak to so many people thousands and thousands of people every year but the thing is we never know where our words are going to go. Right. I mean, sometimes you may feel like these are just ordinary words. There's nothing extraordinary about them, but there's something so extraordinary about a God mm-hmm. who can use the conventional to bring about the transformational. And so never underestimate mm-hmm. your story. 
Mm-hmm. Share that story. And sometimes you may feel like, well, I'm not as polished or I don't have the, the right kind of platform or there are a lot of ors or ands or mm-hmm. buts, but the reality is God can use you in ways beyond, beyond your imagination. He's done that with us. He takes our natural and he adds to it his super. And when you take your natural situation and the natural circumstances that are just part of you living your life and you invite Christ to be that super and God's grace allows you to move forward in power. And you know, moving forward may mean that you use a different skill set or different Mm -hmm. talent to actually speak that truth to others. Some do it through art. Some do it through business practices. Some do it through mentoring. There's so many different ways that you can convey that. I just love that God has given me this this creative passion. Right. I wrote the song Meant to Be, but over the years, I've also created some other things just to pay tribute to her, using what God's given me to, to express that, that heart of gratitude, not just to her, of course, that heart of gratitude to, toward God, for enabling all of this to happen. Mm. And, you know, I wouldn't have my wife and my four kiddos, who I, I love them all like crazy, if it hadn't been for that singular decision made so many years ago. And so I just remember one night I was getting ready to speak at the Values Voter Summit. Right. And I was up late at night and I had struggled for days because I was creating this new piece to try to encapsulate all the things I've been able to become in my life by the grace of God, because of my birth mom's right. decision. And I remember you staring at the back of my head. Oh my gosh, because um, I was so nervous. Are you going to get it late. done? Come on, are you going to sleep before you speak? Yeah, well, creative people don't need to sleep. So <laughs> it's kind of like my story summed up in about a minute and a half. And like we read earlier, Romans sixteen twenty, which says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet and the grace of our Lord Jesus will be with you. The things that you've been able to become by the grace of God, is what allows this testimony to be so powerful and really go further than the natural and into the supernatural. And we're going to play the audio of this powerful spot, but we encourage you to watch the video version of it online at radiance.life. If you just scroll down, it will be on the front page. You couldn't see what I would be. conceived in rape, but was adopted and loved. It doesn't matter whether you're planned, unplanned, able, or disabled. Every human life has purpose. Thank you for listening to Life Has Purpose with Ryan and Bethany Bomberger. We can't wait to talk to you next week. Listen, download, and subscribe at lifehaspurpose.com or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or SoundCloud.